Amen. John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 39. John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 39. We only have this week and next week here in the cafeteria to look into the Gospel of John. And then, of course, on Tuesday, December the 24th, we have our Christmas Eve service over in the auditorium. And then starting in January, uh, we will be starting a new series in the book of Revelation. So looking forward to that. By the way, just a note on that. We are taking December 31st, New Year's Eve, off that Tuesday. And we are also taking Tuesday, January the 7th off. So after Christmas Eve service, our next Tuesday together in here will be Tuesday, January the 14th. So please mark that day. If you're a normal Tuesday night comer, make sure that uh, you put Tuesday, January the 14th down on your calendar to resume our Tuesday night Bible studies in the new year. By the way, I got here a little bit later than normal. I apologize for it being so cold. By the time I got here and called the district office, the gentleman who handles the air conditioning in these places was gone. And so I told the gentleman I was talking to, could you make a note that on Tuesdays, especially through the wintertime, we don't have the cold air blowing in here in the uh, cafeteria? So he said he would. So we'll make sure that we try to get a little bit more comfortable in here through the the winter months. Um, Jesus is in a town in Samaria. He's been talking to a Samaritan woman. He's been telling her everything she's ever done. And it has just blown her away. And it has brought her, I think, to a place of belief and faith. Not only that, here's the amazing thing as we jump back in to, to what's happening here in this passage of Scripture. But now notice in verse 39, the Bible says, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in Him, in Jesus, because of the report of the woman who testified. This should be an encouragement to every Christian how God can use you and use your personal testimony. Because that's really what the word means when it talks about the report of the woman. It means her personal testimony, her personal account, uh, an encounter with Jesus Christ. And let's remember who this woman is. She wasn't necessarily the, the, the stellar person in that society, you know. Uh, First of all, just because she was a woman in that culture, she wasn't looked up to. And then her reputation wasn't the best. Uh, And and yet, 
The Bible tells us that obviously something so profound happened in such a short period of time that when this woman left her water jar and went back to that town and began to talk to people about Jesus, it wasn't just the words that she said. It was the fact that they could somehow sense or see that there was a profound difference in this woman from the woman that they knew before. And that's really what makes a difference. It's, it's not just getting caught up in the words that we say. It's the reality of the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And sometimes, folks, people can tell that just by looking into our eyes. Seeing the difference. Maybe even seeing the countenance on our faces when God comes into our life. I couldn't help today as I was thinking about this passage. As I was out and about today, I I had a lot of different appointments in a lot of different places. I was struck by how stressed out everyone around me seemed to be today. And how the people that I came in contact with today seemed to be just so in such a bad place. Now, I don't know whether it has anything to do with, with, you know, Christmas and the holidays and all that. It might just be at this moment life. But I, I was just struck by the fact of how sad they looked. How hopeless they looked. And, and one of the things that this passage reminds us of is that when Jesus was here on earth, and even now, when God looks at human beings, the the only two groups, if you will, that I think God looks at from a human being standpoint is, do they know me or do they not know me? There really, from God's perspective, is no other importance from God's word, it doesn't matter what our skin color is, what our socioeconomic background is, what we do for a living, where we came from, all that kind of stuff. That's all secondary to God. What God really cares about is, do they know me? Do they not know me? And I don't know about you, but I think if we're going to grow to be like Jesus Christ... One of the things that I think is going to begin to happen in our lives is is we are out and about in the world today. We're not going to so much look at people and see others other than, I wonder, do they know Jesus or don't they? And other than that, everything else is really secondary. And that's, that's what Jesus brought to this world, was that kind of focus on bringing people to faith in Him, and using someone like a Samaritan woman. Again, a lot of Christians, the reason why they don't share their personal testimony or or witness a lot is because they either don't think that they have much of a testimony or that somehow they're not going to say the exact right words. But what God, I think, is teaching us here is it's not always in the words that we say. It's just the way sometimes we carry ourselves and how people can see that God is in us. 
And that is certainly true when the Bible says many, many believed in Jesus because of the words of this Samaritan woman. Wow. That reminds us that the power to save is in the changed life and in the gospel. It's not in us, you see. God can use all of us if we will just make ourselves available as this Samaritan woman did. And again, in verse 39, one of the things that she can't get over and that she keeps sharing with people back in town is, he told me everything I ever did. Now, for some people, maybe even for you and for me, that'd freak us out. But don't we realize that God does know everything we ever did? And as we shared last week, the amazing thing about God, the truth about God, which should drive us to worship Him even more, is the fact that He knows everything about me, even the thoughts that I've th- uh, you know, thought in all my life, and yet He still loves me. Can I just say, that's where one of the things we're trying to develop here and help us all to grow into is the continuity between worship and the Word and that they're not separate. They actually are tied together. The more I'm in the Word and the more I understand of who God is and what kind of God He is, the more that understanding and that deeper knowledge should actually drive me to worship. And then the more I worship, the more I want to go back into the Word and find out even more about this God. And then it just keeps, it's a cyclical thing. That's why worship in the Word will always be predominantly the two basics of what we do when we come together corporately. Because we want to model for people, that's the way it should be even in our personal relationship, in our private worship and time in the Word. That the Word drives our worship and worship drives the Word. And it just keeps going back and forth. Remember that truth. That God knows everything about us and still loves us. And still wants to have a relationship with us. You see. That's the kind of love that God has for His creation. So the Bible says in verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Him, they began asking Him, literally beseeching Him to stay with them, to remain with them, to abide with them. Because this is really the natural outflow of belief. If one comes to truly believe in Jesus as the Bible reveals Him to be, and as He exclaims, declares Himself to be, then won't we want to spend time with Him? And that goes then from them entering into a relationship with God to just wanting to fellowship with God. Jesus, stay here. Let's hang out for a while. And the Bible tells us Jesus was willing to stay with them for two days. And don't miss the irony or or the contrast here. The Jewish people that Jesus primarily came to, the house of Israel, didn't receive him, the Bible says. They didn't want him, and they certainly didn't want him hanging around. And yet, here's these Samaritans that the Jews don't want to have anything to do with. And here's the God who came as a Jew, who's not only 
bringing about faith and belief in them to bring them to a relationship with them, but showing that he wants to hang out with them and fellowship with them. And again, this is a great encouragement for us because after we come to believe in Jesus, there should be that desire for us to fellowship with Jesus, to spend time with him, to be that that Mary that sits at Jesus' feet and just soaks Jesus up. That's what our personal time with God every day should be all about. God, I just want to stay with you and I want to be in your presence. I want to focus on you. I want to hang out with you. I want you to teach me. That's what was happening here in Samaria. And, And think about it. That was a humbling thing for the Samaritans. Because... They're, in a sense, acknowledging this Jewish man who has claimed to be the Messiah, God, is someone that they are willing, themselves even, to spend time with. That was a humbling thing for them. They had to, in a sense, get rid of some of their national pride and prejudice against Jews, just like Jesus was trying to break down and model for Jews how they had to get rid of their walls of prejudice in order to interact with Samaritans. And so we see both being played here. And because of His Word, notice the Bible says in verse 41, many more believed His Word. His Word Note that very important truth because now what Jesus is going to show us through the rest of the passage we're going to look at tonight down through the rest of chapter 4 is this. Jesus is always about growing us. Remember, He wants to make disciples. Not just bring people to belief in Him. He wants to make disciples. And He's even given His church that mandate. From God's perspective, it's not just about getting people saved and having them be a Christian. It's about making disciples. That's the Great Commission. And a disciple is different than just a Christian. A disciple is a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. And literally the word disciple means learner. One who's increasing. One who's growing. And what Jesus is going to show us here, and what has always been His desire, is He wants to take people from this level of faith to this level of faith. And then once they get here, He wants to continue to have their faith increase. And and in this particular passage, what you're going to see Him do, is He wants to get people away from a sign faith to a word faith. Because what we're going to see in the rest of this passage is that there were people who believed in Him to a point, but it was because of the signs, the miracles, the wonders that He did. But you'll note throughout this passage that that's never the foundation of our faith. That's not a solid foundation. That's why God will always try to move any human being who maybe even initially comes to believe in Him by some sign and miracle. God never wants us to stay there. God always wants us to move to a place where we move past and grow in in having a sign faith and having a word faith. Meaning, all we need is God's word. I don't need God to do 
some sign. I don't need a fleece. I don't need a miracle. I don't need some wonder. If God said it, that's all I need. See, And that's what God's going to move these people towards. So it's very important when we get to this passage, or this part, when the Bible says too, that many believe because of the word that Jesus spoke. That's how God brings people to faith. You see. Primarily through the word. Signs, if you will, are authentications and confirmations, but they're never to take the place of the Word. They're never a proper foundation. Let me give you an example. Who saw more wonders, signs, miracles, than the Israelites that escaped out of Egypt? They saw all the plagues that God brought firsthand. And they walked through a sea on dry ground. How much more sign do you want than that? And yet these very same people were creating an idol and worshiping an idol just a few days later. See, sign faith isn't strong faith. Sign faith is very superficial because it's always in need of, again, some kind of experience or sign or fleece or whatever. And God wants to move people from needing God to move in a certain way to just having said it. That's enough, you see. So, the Bible says, they said to the woman, here's something really cool. No longer do we believe just because of your words. Now they said, we have heard for ourselves. That's really important. Hey, listen, can people come to faith on someone else's testimony? Yeah, but if you're going to make it real for yourself, you've got to first-hand it. You've got to check it out for yourself. You've got to make it real for yourself. Yes, many believe because of the testimony of the woman. But many others said, you know what? It's not that I'm discounting what happened with this woman, but I want to hear it firsthand from Jesus' own lips. And the Bible says many more than came to believe in him by hearing his words, you see, on things as well. And notice this, for we have heard for ourselves, and here's something really cool, and we know that this one really is the Savior of the world. The word know there is a word that speaks of confirmation. So don't miss the order here, really important. The confirmation came after belief, not before. Again, human beings want God to confirm something and then they say, oh, I'll believe God if you do this. God is trying to get human beings to see, no, no, you trust me. You step out by faith and believe in me and you act on my word and then you'll have your confirmation. Because the Bible clearly teaches in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So a person can never really please God if we keep saying, God, I'll have faith in you, but give me a sign first. Give me a confirmation, authenticate, and then I'll trust you. God says, no, what I'm trying to build into human beings' lives is faith. 
And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And therefore, God wants us all to get to a point and grow to a point where it's not about asking God for confirmation before belief, but understanding that the word of God teaches that confirmation actually will automatically follow belief. God will confirm us when we step out on faith and follow him. That's when we get our confirmation, not before. And you see that here in this passage once again. The other thing I'll point out, and then we'll get on to this other. This phrase, Savior of the world, is only used twice in the Word of God. And it's used both times by John. Once here in the Gospel of John and one other time in 1 John. And you can understand why the Samaritans would use this. Because unlike the Jews who had a very narrow focus, if you will, a little box that God had to fit in. Yes, I believe Messiah will come, but he's primarily going to come for the Jews. And he's primarily, when he comes, he's going to overthrow all of our enemies. He's going to restore our glory uh, uh, as Israel again, and we're going to be good to go. And when the Samaritans realized that the Messiah was taking time with them and was willing to spend time with them and was willing to come to them in their cities and share the hope of God with them, then they're like, this isn't just the Savior of the Jews. This is the Savior of the world. He has come for all. God so loved the world. And Jesus was illustrating that and modeling that and being an example of that everywhere he went. Yes, he primarily came to the house of Israel, but he would not turn his back on Gentiles if they were willing to receive him. And you have that illustrated here with the Samaritans. So then the Bible says, verse 43, after the two days he departed from there to Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. The people in Nazareth, especially Jesus' hometown, never saw his worth or his value like other people did. They were the hardest ones to reach. They were the last ones. You and I even know his brothers and sisters did not come to faith in him until very much later on. Even though they saw that, honestly, growing up with him, he was perfect. And yet they still had a hard time Coming to go, yeah, he's God. He's God. Now, I I don't want to strain the passage in any way of application, but I do want to apply it just a little bit this way. And again, not to compare us in any way with the Son of God. But in a little way, I hope that this encourages you with family. And maybe even helps you to see your own family in a different light. Because many times, the people that we value the least and see the, the least in are the people that are closest to us. Maybe you've even felt that in your own family. That you have people outside of your family who actually values you and thinks more of you than your own family members do. Well, realize, Jesus knows what that's like. He had the same thing, and he was the Son of God. He never got the respect, 
the honor, the appreciation, the value in his hometown. They could never get over the fact that this was Joseph and Mary's son, and we know him, and we saw him growing up, and it was just hard for them. That's why sometimes, very practically speaking, we as family members are the last ones to reach our own family. Usually it takes somebody outside of our family to reach our family members, just as it maybe took someone outside of our family to reach us. Because maybe there were people in our family who were Christians who tried to witness to us and we were like shutting them down because it's family. We just sort of, you know, automatically discounted it. And there's the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And Jesus felt all of that and experienced all all of that as well. So the Bible says when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. But now notice here. Yes, they in another region welcomed him around that circuit of Galilee. But notice, they welcomed him because they had seen the things he had done in Jerusalem. See, it was sign faith. It was, wow, Jesus, I I sort of like that turning over the tables and and upsetting the money changers and all that. We we saw you do that and we're, we're drawn to you because of that. And again, it's not that God discounts that. It's not that God rejects that. If, if somehow something like that can begin to arouse interest in somebody, and obviously we believe the Bible teaches in the pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, and sometimes He's going to use experiences and things like that to begin to draw them, but ultimately you're going to see very clearly here tonight that God never wants to leave any of us at that level of faith. Because again, that level of faith is not a strong, mature level of faith. The Jews, again, I just reference this, in the Old Testament, saw all kinds of things. That didn't keep them from rebelling against God and worshiping idols just because they saw all kinds. That's when a Christian says, well, God, if I just saw more miracles, or I just, no, no. See, that's not That's not biblical. That is the response of someone who needs to keep growing. That's either a baby Christian or someone who's never really grown in their faith when they make statements like that. Because again, it's never about our experiences and and the miracles and the signs and the wonders. It's about the Word of God. Because again, let's remind ourselves, the Bible clearly teaches that when Antichrist comes, he will be energized by Satan himself. And one of the ways that the Antichrist will draw followers to himself, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is through lying powers, signs, and wonders. Miracles. You see. God isn't the only one that can do miracles. Now, obviously, God is not even in the same ballpark with Satan as far as power goes. There's no comparison. But Satan and the demonic spirits are supernatural beings. See, So that's where we need to grow in our faith, to grow from a sign faith, an experience-oriented faith, to a word faith. So notice this, how this takes place. The Bible says in verse 46, Jesus has a great opportunity here to teach and show people that by using this man whose son is getting ready to die. 
The Bible says, Now he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. That's just a reminder. When Jesus is around, things change. If you and I really want Jesus in our life, we won't stay the same. We, we will change. It's just the transforming power of, of God. So, notice it says, in Capernaum, there was a certain royal official, someone who was attached to the king, whose son was sick. When he heard that Jesus had come back from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come down and heal his son, who was about to die. This man's desperate. And in a sense, he has a desperate faith. He doesn't maybe know all about Jesus yet, but what he's heard is at least there's some hope that if anybody can help my son at this point, maybe it's Jesus. He doesn't yet believe that he's the Messiah. He doesn't yet believe he's the Son of God. But here's a desperate father, and just like any of us, if my son was about to die, I'd do anything I could to help him. See? So we understand, we can enter into this man's angst and grief, if you will, as he approaches Jesus here. And so notice, he went to him and begged him to come down and heal his son. Very important. Again, notice the level of faith here. That if he believes in Jesus at all, it's notice that Jesus has to physically be present in order for his son to be healed. Okay? Because Jesus is going to show us in just a minute, I don't have to be there. I'm God. All I have to do is say the word, you see. So he's like, okay, just like we, okay, God, you have to do it this way. Again, fit into my box. And can I just say, one of the things that God hopefully is showing all of us if we continue to study the Word of God is, I don't fit in your box. I'm not going to fit in your box. You see? Because I am infinite. I'm the uncreated God. Try to wrap your mind around that. He's always been. Your brain will start to hurt if you start thinking about that. Well, wait a minute. There, he, he had to know. He's always been. See, even as Christians, we're going to talk about this more as we start to do a little teaching and, and introduce some of our folks to concepts of worship. Because can I just say one of the things that I'm learning from some of the feedback I'm getting from some people at the Oasis is they really don't understand what the Bible teaches about worship. And so I, I really, as the pastor, I need to take that on and go, okay, let's remind ourselves what the Bible teaches about worship in order to understand why we do the things that we do at the Oasis, you see. And one of the things that the, the Bible teaches is that even in our worship, if you will, however we express that, we still try to put God in, in our box instead of letting God be outside the box and not trying to bring Him in to where we can sort of wrap our arms and minds around Him and, and, and totally comprehend. We're never going to comprehend God. He's incomprehensible. 
And that's part of the wonder of worship and the mystery of it is don't try to bring God into a manageable state in your mind. Let God be God and wonder and marvel at Him. That the uncreated created us out of dust, out of dirt, out of the soil, the ground, and yet wants to have a relationship with me. Chew on that for a while and tell me that somehow your heart wouldn't be driven to God. What can I say? What can I sing? What can I do for you? That kind of worship. Anyway, sorry. Getting off. So notice, Jesus said to him, now, the implication is that, yes, Jesus is facing him. Jesus is probably eyeball to eyeball with him. But Jesus is addressing the crowd around him as well. The reason we know that is the word you in the Greek language is plural. So Jesus isn't just addressing this man who's desperate for his son to be healed. He's addressing now all these people around. And notice what Jesus says. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. So again, we can pretty much see where God's coming from. That He's not satisfied. That He's not pleased with people who are just flocking to Him, coming to Him because of the signs and wonders. Because He understands. That's not going to really be a solid foundation. Again, when Jesus did signs and wonders, it was to confirm and authenticate what His Word had already said and what the Old Testament Scriptures had already prophesied. Not to build faith. Our faith is built on His Word, not on signs and wonders. You see. And so he's like, unless, you, unless I do it. And that's why when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't raise all the people from the dead. He just raised Lazarus. That's why he didn't heal all the blind people, but he just healed certain blind people. That's why he didn't heal all the deaf people, but just a couple. Because it wasn't about healing. That's not what it was about. It was about a sign to authenticate and confirm what the scriptures had said. And who the Messiah would be and how you could tell that it was the Messiah. So Jesus is very clear. And so he says, or the, the, the man whose son is dying says, Sir, which is a term of supremacy. Again, doesn't quite believe that Jesus is the son of God yet, but he does come to Jesus saying, you're bigger than me. You're supreme. You know. Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my child dies. Again, desperate faith. I don't care about the signs and wonders. My son's getting ready to die. I just want you to come down and help my son. So it was through that statement that, again, the crowd realized, obviously Jesus already knew, that this man wasn't coming to him just for a miracle show just for a sideshow. He was drawing out of the man why he really come. He really came because he just wanted his son to get some kind of help. So notice what Jesus' response is. Again, trying to build word faith in people rather than sign faith. Jesus told him, go home. Your son will not die, or he will live. 
Well, now think about it. Put yourself in this guy's place. You believe that somehow Jesus can help. But in approaching Jesus, you and I believe that he's got to actually be physically present in order to do something, whether it's pray over him or, you know, whatever, anoint him, whatever. Jesus has to be there. And, and you go to Jesus and you're pleading him, you're desperate. You know, unless Jesus does something, that your son's probably going to die. And Jesus' words to us at that point, like it was to this man, is, go home, your son will live. Jesus is basically, here's a defining moment of faith. Will you trust my word? Will you have enough faith to turn around, head home, and trust in my word? Not in what you saw, because I didn't do anything. I haven't done anything. And you didn't see anything yet. All he's giving him is his word. And this man, who doesn't have a lot of spiritual background, has to get to a point where he just trusts in the word of God. That's it. And what we can learn from this experience in the Gospel of John is that's exactly where God wants to get all of us. He wants to get us to a place where we don't necessarily see anything happening, where we don't experience anything, that sometimes all we have is His Word. That's it. If you look at the circumstances, they look pretty grim. If you look around at the situation, nothing's changed. And yet you cling to His Word. That's what God wants to build into our lives. That's why Paul said, It's not faith by sight, see. It's not seeing to believe. It's just trusting in what God has said. So let me stop here for just a moment before I wrap this up. How does that hit you and me right now in our lives? Because probably there's got to be something in each of our lives right now some situation, some part of our lives where this is really relevant, where I just got to trust the Word of God. I I don't have anything else to trust, but I've just got to trust His Word on that. That's it. Then keep coming back to that. Because that's where God wants to bring all of us. To the same place He brought this man who at First had desperate faith, but now is having a defining faith. Defining faith is, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk away from the the one man that I think can help me. Simply because he told me to. So notice what happens. The Bible says that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. If he didn't, he would have never turned around and left. That's all God wants. He wants to get us all to a place where we just believe His Word. That that's enough. We don't need any sign, any experience, any miracle, any wonder. We just need His Word. That's all we need. And so, he believed in the Word that Jesus spoke to him and he set out for home. Now notice again what God does. When a person believes, then confirmation comes. And then this man goes from a 
desperate faith to a defining faith and willing to turn his back on Jesus and just believe his word and head home to a deepening faith. Notice what happens in verse 51. While he was on his way down back to his home, his slaves met him and told him that his son was going to live. So he asked them the time, the definite point in time when his condition began to improve. And they told him, yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. By the way, really cool. The word left here in the Greek means to depart or be sent away. In other words, it's, it's reminding us, Jesus spoke the word and the fever had to leave. God sent it away. And notice verse 53. Then the father realized that it was at the very time Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Wow. Talk about confirmation. Talk about authentication. Talk about a deepening faith. Because then the Bible goes on to say, after this, that he himself believed. Don't miss that second belief. Because it's a little bit different in the Greek than the first belief. Again, the first belief was a desperate faith, a defining faith. Now this is a deepening faith. And this is what God wants to bring us to. He wants to take us through the stages as a disciple of His to go from this little bitty faith to a strong, deepening, grounded faith. And God wants to teach us that confirmation and authentication will come after we trust, after we place our faith and confidence in Him, but not before. Just like with this man. Jesus didn't give him any sign. Jesus just said, I want you to believe my word. When the man turned around and began to walk home, that's when the slaves met him and said, you're not going to believe it. Your son's going to be okay. He's going to survive. See? So I hope this will be an encouragement to you and me to trust the word of God. And then the Bible says that not only did this man believe, But God so profoundly changed his life that the Bible says he basically influenced his entire household. And his whole family came to believe in Jesus. You can imagine. Can you imagine the story he could tell? I went up desperate to meet Jesus and to get him to come down. He didn't have to come down. All he had to do was say the word and my son was healed. And when I was leaving for home, my servants met me. And they told me exactly what time his fever left. And that was exactly the time I heard Jesus say, your son will live. Not a coincidence, my friends. The power of the word of God. And so the Bible says Jesus did this as his second miraculous sign when he returned from Judea to Galilee. Again, don't miss it. The signs that Jesus did... And the signs that God gives to us are never to be the foundation of our faith. They will be the authentication and confirmation after we believe. What God wants to grow in all of us is a deepening faith. To go from one level of faith to an ever deeper level of faith. To where we just continue to grow, to trust God more. And simply, all we need is His Word. That's it. That's it.
Just his word, nothing else. Next week, we finish out our mini study of the Gospel of John looking at the healing of the man by the pool at Bethesda and see where that leads us as well. Let's pray. God, may we just trust your word. If we truly do understand who you as as the God of the universe is, if, if we truly have come to believe in you, and if we've gotten into your word at all and we begin to discover who you are as God, then surely we know you can be trusted. That your word is reliable. That it has been tested and tried over and over and over again and always been absolutely reliable. God, you are absolutely trustworthy. There is nothing you have ever said that was not true. So God, I don't know where all of us are right now, but I know even as Christians, sometimes we just need to be encouraged one more time to trust in your word. So God, I pray that whatever area of our life we may be struggling to trust you in right now, whatever is going on in our lives right now where we just need to just simply believe in what you have said, what you've revealed. God, help us to do that. And help us to come to an understanding that our faith will grow as we just get into the Word of God and absorb it and let it hit us and let it impact our lives like you want it to. Help us not to hold your word at arm's length, but may we allow your word to truly take effect in our lives so that we can deepen and grow in our faith and not always be asking you for fleeces and signs and experiences, but Lord, simply to come to a place where we trust your promises, we trust your word. God, thank you for being such a reliable, dependable, trustworthy God. If we had nothing else, God, that should drive us to our knees in worship of you. Because we live in a world today, God, and this world has always been without you. A world that is so unstable, so unsettled, so unreliable and undependable. That God, it's, it's beyond us being even able to articulate how important it is that we have a God, someone, something in our life that we can absolutely depend on 100% of the time. God, help us to do that more and more in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for being here. We'll see you Sunday.